Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, welcome to a wonderful Wednesday. I don't know where you're at, but I tell you what, here in North Texas, we could not ask for a better day right now. This is one of the reasons you're in Texas in the spring and the fall. In the summertime, you, know, you seek shelter, but uh, we have wonderful weather, uh, and it's great to have blue skies and wonderful weather to think about some of the challenges that we have as a nation. But you know what? Nothing that we have is either unconquerable or insurmountable. And that's what the basis of our show is uh, for our listeners out there. We want to thank you for your continued support about what we can do about solving America's problems and bringing solutions to you. Today, I have a special guest with me, a gentleman who uh, we'll call him a frontline warrior. He has been involved in several administrations, including President Trump's administration. He's currently working for the America First Policy Institute, Mr. John John Zadrozny. Did I get that right, John? You got that right, sir. Thank you. All right. Um, And John, I'm going to let you give your background, and then I would like to take, after you give your background, let's just jump right into some of the issues that you see happening on the border right now, because you're developing those as director for the America First Policy Institute. You're you're the director for that center, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, That's exactly correct. So just very quick on me, I'm a New York native, a blue state refugee, if you will. I've uh, been living down here in the Virginia area, D.C. area for about 10 plus years now. I've had the privilege of uh, being a prosecutor, working for Congress, working for an administration. I uh, had a really up-close view and worked with some really great people over the years to try and actually help solve problems. And blessed to have been part of it, uh, horrified about what I'm seeing now and hoping we can do a little bit from America First Policy Institute's vantage point. Let's talk about right now, and, and there's some things I sent you, and, and, and I'm going to try not to be ugly um, but I, there's some questions that come up. And first off, we do have we do have a border. We do have laws. Um, the administration, in my opinion, is taking a they're, they're saying, well, yeah, we're enforcing border, blah, 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 blah. On the other hand, their actions definitely don't meet up with what they're telling people. Does that in, does that amount to any type of what we would call an impeachable offense. And the reason I bring this up, as you know, there's been three articles of impeachment introduced against President Biden. I don't know if they're ever going to get any traction or not, but those are one of the things is his handling of the border. That's basically he's been against American policy. What's your opinion on that? It's a great question, Darren. I I think uh, the short answer is in a time where the American people hadn't been numbed by the concept of an impeachment, I think the answer would be yes. Um, there's something to be said for an administration that's basically flat out ignoring the law, ignoring constitutional obligations. Uh, I, I would bet that the founders, if they were here, would concur that you should save impeachment for those types of offenses. Um, whether or not that's going to happen, uh, it's probably not going to happen in the short term. Uh, I, I think people were critical of some of the Republican leadership in the last few weeks for saying there won't be impeachment. I'll give them the benefit of a doubt. I think what they meant was, come on, guys, there's no way we're going to have an impeachment with the Democrat run Congress. Correct. Should, should the votes be. aren't there. The votes aren't there. Right. Correct. I don't think they were saying we don't want to do it. I think they were saying we can't do it. Let's be realistic. Should they do it in the future? That's another great question. I wish I could take credit for this idea, but somebody pointed out that impeachment is really the only effective means of oversight. 
when you have a government like the one we have, uh, even if we retain Congress, if we take back the House, for example, maybe even the Senate in 22, the reality is they're just going to stiff arm us like they did in the Obama administration. They're not going to supply any documents. So impeachment may be the only means to get access to certain information, including the, the nonsense and the disaster that has been at the Afghanistan withdrawal. Um, like people are calling for answers. You're not going to get it by asking them nicely. You're going to have to go through something like an impeachment where there's a legal process for obtaining documents. You know, and you bring up Afghanistan. We've talked about the border. So let's just pivot for just a second, you know, because we've had right now, there's so many things that are being thrown against us. I think it's to take our eye off of or distract from certain things. Obviously, the border is a, cri- a crisis that's continuing. But Afghanistan, how, how much worse could you have made that unless you tried? I mean, I think that's perhaps the best way to put it, Darren. I think this was, um, like many things that Democrats do, I, I really don't think this is sort of sort of mistake or error. Um, I think you used the word crisis a moment ago. I think a lot of people on our side tend to use the word crisis to describe what they're seeing because they really can't think of another word. I almost think crisis is too generous because well, crisis. I, another favorite term I have is called fecal matter matinee. You know, yeah, it's a well, nice that's, way to put it. That's that's a very interesting way of putting it. You know, it's maybe we call it a manufactured crisis. Um, in other words, they, they need the chaos to achieve an agenda. So, for example, when the border started to collapse and they just were letting people in hand over fist, there were people saying, what a mess, what a crisis. Make no mistake, this is an intentional part of an agenda to create an amnesty to make up for the 50 million human beings they've aborted over the last 50 years. Um, like, there is a real demographic problem with the left right now. They're shrill, they're loud, they're in your face, our side's quiet. We think that volume equals majority. I don't think it does. In fact, I think behind closed doors, they know full well that they're they're in a demographic situation that's really bad for them. And so, um, you know, the border is part of that. If you let hundreds of thousands, I mean, they're projecting, if this continues apace for a couple of years, millions of people will have crossed between January 2021 and the end of a potential Biden administration. Um, let, me ask, let, me, let me throw a wrench in here for just a second. Sure. We have a lot of friends in South Texas. We have a lot of friends that are ranchers. This is not in the news, and it's not something I put out on social media, but I have had several conversations with ranches, with ranchers uh, down in that area. They're capping people, as in they're shooting them that are crossing their planes right now. You're not hearing about it. You're not seeing about it. They've asked for all the help that they could get. They're not getting any help. The state can only do so much. Um this is going to get worse if they if they just continue to let through. I can tell you right now in this state, we're not just simply going to let people come in and trespass and take advantage. They will get shot. At what point will the media focus on that? I mean, we, and we know what the response is going to be. And it's going to be blaming everything in the world. But is there an approach possibly of taking, you know, more of I, my personal opinion is if there was a couple of shots fired over everybody's head, I think they'd turn around and run. But I would be barbecued if I put that out on social media or put that out. But the reality is we're approaching a point of violence. How do we as as people right now, who can we reach out to? And is there a way potentially through sheriff's organizations, through other law enforcement to try to get this, keep pushing this back? I mean, they're talking about closing the border, but they say that on one hand, and that's not the action we're actually seeing. We're now hearing, well, they're going to deport all the Haitians. I'm hearing reports that they've let some loose. And I'm also hearing reports that Haiti doesn't want their people back. What do we believe? 
Yeah. So uh, I think you're you're 100 right in the sense that this is the violence is is not always seen and it is a problem and it is growing. I've actually heard the opposite, Darren, as well. I've heard that there are men crossing in fatigues with rifles and camo bags and they're shooting at ranchers. And uh, I heard one story which sounds that is insane. happening. That is happening. One story I heard, which was pretty amazing, and it's anecdotal, so for take it for what you're worth, is that there was a standoff between a rancher and his household uh, with a few men who crossed over the border saying they want a flight to another part of the world. They wanted them to basically take them to an airport, drop them off, and give them some resources, and they would fly somewhere else. That's terrifying. My understanding is that those men, eventually the standoff ended and they fled, but um, you really start to think about how bad this could be. some sheriffs, I've also, you've probably spoken with some of the same sheriffs. They said their people are asking them, can I shoot? If someone comes to my door, tries to break into my house, can I shoot? And they don't know what to say. Uh, obviously, we're, I, don't think it's a, I don't think we should be encouraging violence, but the reality is this is what happens when you have a federal government that has abandoned its primary constitutional duty to provide for the national defense. Well, I can um, tell you this in Texas. I mean, we are a right to defend state. Um, someone's trespassing on your property. You can't shoot them now. Obviously, there's there's protocol. If you shoot somebody in the head, they're going to say you committed murder. But if you shoot somebody in the foot, you shoot somebody in the leg, and they continue to trespass and go on, then and it elevates the the history and the laws in Texas will will protect you. I can't say that about every other state. Right. I think a lot of other states don't have that that protection for citizens, which is why people are terrified in their homes. Uh, and, and so, um, I mean, I just think that I don't really have an answer to this problem. It's bigger than than any one locality or any one government. I think it's important though, for where possible, for what it's worth, I know you live in Texas, uh, the governor there is probably doing more. And I know that sometimes people are not always happy with Governor Abbott, at least in Texas, (laughs) but I can tell you that compared to my governor and the other governors around the country, uh, I think he's doing what needs to be done and doing a pretty decent job. And I've seen him step up in terms of saying, yeah, we're gonna do things that the feds won't do. And the states absolutely have the right to do that. They are sovereign states. Um, and that's something we need to get back to. But the short answer to your question, Darren, is basically uh, you get sheriffs, local governments, uh, mayors working together, making it clear that primary public safety of the citizenry is the, their number one mission, coordinate as much as possible and do what they can. And I, I think uh, we'll hold the line as long as possible. Well, something I hear, and I think this is a message that Democrats need to understand, you know, South Texas for a number of years um, has been Democrat because it's been largely Hispanic. That is not going to continue to be the case because, I mean, I married into an Hispanic family 30 years ago, and and I know the values and stuff. And I can tell you the folks down in there, you're already starting to see a change and shift of party affiliation in Republicans. They're pretty much conservative people, um, regardless of how they got here. And they're not, I can tell you right now, they don't like having this. And it is an invasion of what's coming in, into these small towns, into Del Rio, into, into McAllen. Um, sucking up resources, helping people. And, and there's only so much patience. And I can tell you right now, regardless of where these people go, hopefully they, they're, they're deported back home. The process that we're going through is leaving a dramatic black eye on the Democrat Party. And it's one that I don't know that they truly understand. You, you mentioned the term 50 million people that they deported over the or, you know, number of people they've deported over the last several decades. The U.S. is not going to let them replace that. I mean, it will come down to blood and bullets if necessary. Can they not see that? I mean, again, I, I think 
your, the open borders approach that you see and to a lesser degree that what's happened in the wake of the Afghanistan collapse where literally tens of thousands of people whose idea, whose identities we don't know are, are entering American soil. Um, they are trying to make up for, I think, a demographic shortfall. You know, it's a party that um, has been doing all the wrong things over the last 50 years in many respects. And so um, they've encouraged basically, it, it really does turn out when you spend 60, year, 60 years telling people to have abortions, you're short about 50 million voters. And so you, you where do you find those voters, right? right? Um, and when the other side believes in God and has large families, you, you give it 10, 20, 30 years, you're in trouble. They know that that's what amnesty is about. It is a shortfall replacement. And you, that's and why you the just hit so- something that nobody in the media is talking about. And that is that shortfall of that growth of the, of the conservative base that's coming out there. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break right now. Pay a few bills. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. I've got our special guest, John Zadrozny, with the American First Policy Institute. We're discussing a lot of problems. And guess what? We're going to talk about solutions later in the show. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. With us today, our special guest, John Zadrodzny of the America First Policy Institute. That's right, you heard it. America first. And that's what we're talking about is putting the nation first, 
doesn't mean that we're we're trying to do bad things to other countries, but there's nothing wrong with having national pride and wanting your country to be at the top. We've been talking about immigration. We've been talking a little bit about some of the mess in Afghanistan. I haven't got deep into that, but something I want to get into and I have a question before we pivot into that, before we leave immigration. Um, right now, we've got people coming across the border. We know they're getting in. Some are coming in and they're, they're just getting through the loop. And then some are coming in that are actually being helped over. The president came out with his vaccine mandate, and of course, that's got all kinds of negative responses. But one of the areas that they have not, they're not going to force this on, are people that are coming into the border, which I find very peculiar. And I think that pretty much kills his vax mandate, which he has no legal authority on to begin with. But here's a question I have for you. And this, being a lawyer, I want you to think, I want you to, I want you to put your plaintiff's hat on and think of if somebody happened. What if some of these people that come across the border, aside from COVID, have other diseases that they bring in. They get somebody sick and somebody dies. Does that make, uh, Joe, Biden, does that make Joe Biden a de facto murderer? Well, I, I think... Uh, I know that's I'll a strong let, statement. It's a strong it's a very, statement. It's a very strong statement, Darren, but I think the best way to say it is I think it makes him horrendously negligent and puts American right. lives at risk. And honestly, when you, really, when you get down to it, the primary job of every president is the public safety, health, and net security of every American citizen. Uh, all the other stuff that Washington has absorbed over the decades is really sort of peripheral. The most important thing is the protection of the citizenry. And so when you're letting people who are ill come over without scrutiny and there's no effort to stop them, you are putting American people at risk. I, I mean, this is not a new a new trend, Darren. I, I, from, I've been working on immigration for more than a decade at this point, and you can't help but realize that We've seen resurgences in certain diseases that are not fatal, but are serious things we've we had pretty much uh, largely eradicated from the domestic population. Polio, measles. We're seeing those again. again, It's not it's not because people suddenly decided to stop getting vaccinations. It's because people who have never who are coming from third world countries with no medical infrastructure have these diseases and they're reintroducing them into the population. Um, That's unfortunate. Covid has just been like the. The nuclear version of that, like it just happened to be a big deal. I think what you said before is 100% correct. The, the way the Biden administration, it's almost insulting, Darren, the fact that Americans are being treated like prisoners. Uh, but if you arrive at the U.S. border, you're not a citizen. You're basically illegally there. You make a fraudulent claim for amnesty. You're going to get released in the country. There is zero medical scrutiny for you. In fact, the, the federal government, speaking of negligence, the federal government has all but acknowledged that it's put uh, through several uh, IG reports and other other admissions that they're putting the Border Patrol and other federal officials at tremendous risk. Uh, they're not really providing them with the protection they need from literally hundreds of thousands of people who are infected with COVID or other diseases. And then they're, they've admitted they've dumped the, the burden of the cost of all this testing on the states and localities. That's egregious. Um, you, you did an op-ed in, uh, I believe, the Washington Post a few weeks back on a Trump administration tool for stopping illegal immigration that the Biden administration is fighting to get rid of or already has dismantled. Can you go over that for just a second? Yes, of course. So uh, it, it, when, uh, when we were in the Trump administration, President Trump used invoked the authorities under Title 42, uh, Title 42 of the U.S. Code. Basically, it was a provision that allowed the federal government, and this sounds logical to you and me and millions of other Americans, to prevent someone who uh, is coming in from a country where there is uh, uncertainty about whether these people are medically safe to enter. Uh, We basically had the authority to turn people away. And that's exactly what was happening. The United States government at the border was turning people who were coming from Central, South America, other points 
um, trying to cross the border illegally or coming to a port of entry, we basically don't take, we, we have a national security obligation to protect citizens. And there was a statute on the books that allowed us through the Surgeon General to basically say, you may not enter. Um, it was pretty effective for a lot of reasons, not the least of which was it actually protected citizens from influxes of people who might be sick, but it was also quite a disincentive to illegal immigration uh, because you have cartels that are dri- that were driving and at a pretty penny too, hundreds of thousands of people into the United States. Once Title 42 went into effect, people were not willing to pay that money and risk having that money lost only to get to the U.S. border and be turned around. So this, um, this is an effective tool. It was a very effective tool. It's important to stress, though, that it was a, it was a health care and a public safety tool, but it and, did and have a, it had a positive. You need, you need that. It had, but it had a secondary, very positive effect on the immigration problem we had. Uh, now, what the Biden administration will tell you is that on paper, they are enforcing Title 42, but that's actually not true. We know that for a while, they've basically been carving out groups here, groups there. Um, they have allowed tremendous discretion for the officials at the border to wave someone in if they don't think they should be excluded. Um, they weren't excluding children, which, as you know, those alleged UACs that they were using, but then hook, they'll later hook the families into the country if they just let the child in. Uh, the other day, a court enjoined the exclusion of family units under Title 42. So they're only too happy to c- comply with that instead of asserting executive authority and national security obligations. So really, they're, they say they're using it. They're not really using it. And by the way, uh, Biden's wink and nod stand down on Title 42 has re-enriched the cartels. Uh, when we were, I happened to be in Del Rio in uh, June, uh, met with some lovely people who were there whose communities were under siege. One of the things I learned, which was pretty terrifying, is that according to some local estimates, the cartels were making $25 million a week, a week, getting people across that border. So Drug yeah. mules? Uh, human trafficking, shipping human bodies across and getting them, you know, getting them to the border and saying good luck. Um, it had gotten so bad to the point in certain parts of the, along the border where there were mobs of, uh, they've got it down to a routine where uh, a cartel will drop off a group of 20 or 30 aliens on someone's property and say, just wait here. The border patrol will be around around 1030 in the morning. It'll pick you all up, process you, and then you'll be released. That happened on a daily basis on some of these properties. Uh, so it's unfortunate the only now, now governor has, Abbott right now has got he's he's put out we catch you we're going to put you in jail right right um, because they are trespassing on private property correct yeah. um so, it's, it's a shame darren the only industry that seems to have skyrocketed during the biden administration is the uh, cartels they're they're making money hand over fist everyone else is unemployed but i i just sit back and i'm shaking my head and with stuff like this happening even winking and i it, it, it t- what it tells me is that the current makeup that we have in Congress, and I don't care whether you've got a Republican behind your name or a Democrat, you, you live in a country that enriches individualism and, and you can be prosperous and you can do a lot of things. If you want to go spend all your money helping the poor, you can do that. There's a lot of great things. For these congressional members to sit back and basically punt on oversight, it, it's it's sickening, but it also it leaves it, it makes them liable as well, does it not? Uh, it makes them politically liable, uh, whether it makes them legally liable or not. Yeah. Um, in, in, so, in some ways, I think it's interesting and helpful that the, the margins are so slim in Congress, because um, normally what the Dems would do is they would just think about what happened in 2010 with Obamacare. They were willing to shed 40, 50 members. Uh, they had a really big majority. They were willing to shed a lot and they, they did lose the majority ultimately, but like Theoretically, they could have not lost the majority, lost 30 seats and still 
pulled off what they wanted to pull off. When you've got a five seat majority, there is literally no room for, for error. So they have to at least pretend they like the people who vote for them for a little while. And um, I, I don't Congress really I think is the mask is off. I think that just that, I think the full contempt is out there right now, in my opinion. I mean, it, Darren, I, I, I don't want to be rude to people. I do think, though, that Democrats generally you can be you can be rude on this show. Just just qualify it. <laughs> I, I generally think Democrats spend a lot of their time in office ignoring their voters, except for that crucial window when they're suddenly running for reelection and love the people. And so I, I hope people who live in blue districts are paying very close attention to what their members are saying and doing to them. Um, you could, there are probably some Republicans where that's the case. Um, if, if anything, Republican, Republicans are definitely a little sleepy and probably not as aggressive as they should be. Um, but I think for the most part, um, Darren, you, you want to say something? Sorry. <laughs> well, no, you, you hit, boy, you hit a nerve there when Republicans are sleepy and unfortunately, we don't have time to go to every little nuance there, but, and, and I, for obvious reasons, they are sleeping. Why do you feel that is? Again, and, and there's a number of topics, pick, throw a topic out there, and they're sleepy, whether it's Afghanistan or, or whether it's the border or whether it's the General Milley situation or, or whether it's articles of impeachment. I don't care if they're in the minority. Why do we not have more Republicans, even if it's in a losing cause, okay? screaming up and down of why things are going through. I think part of the reason that the Democrats are emboldened is they're not getting called on the carpet. Why is that? I I could talk for hours about this, Darren, but I think that the unfortunate part about the Republican Party is that sometimes I wonder if it's actually run by Republicans. You know, I've joked, if you've ever seen any of the, for your listeners who are familiar with the Marvel Comics universe of movies, I feel like the Republican Party is run by Hydra. Like, I feel like they're run... (laughs) They're run by something that right. doesn't represent the majority of the people. They say all the, you know, say the right things during the say election. The right things. Um, but, but then you realize that they spend whatever amount of time they've gotten office doing the opposite until they need your vote. And then they shake some hands, kiss some babies, and they're back. Yeah, you, we may be seeing a shift in that, not only because of President Trump, who has sort of in some ways blurred or shattered party lines um, that may result in a change in what parties look like in 20 years, but I think Republicans have also woken up a little bit, um, meaning rank and file everyday folks and districts out there are like, wait, no, I want something else. And, you know, I don't want to wander off topic, but you see this locally now. Um, I think for whatever, whatever happened in the fall, um, people are awakened to some degree. And I think you see people who realize the sleepy Republicans who mind their own business have communists on their school boards and they're unhappy now. So people are running for local offices and maybe that's what needs to happen to the Republican party. We need a a farm team at the local level. That's more aggressive. And someday they'll run for higher office and we'll be better off. Well, I, one thing about it, um, and I've been around long enough to have voted for president Reagan. And I think if you look at between president Reagan and president Trump, it took president Trump to not only awaken us, but I think people forgot that when this country's rocking, it is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And there's a lot of people that haven't been around long enough to have gotten an adult taste of, of that. They got a taste of it under President Trump. And they mm-hmm. said, wow. Obama said, well, you can't wave a magic wand and undo these things. And Mr. Trump came in and waved a, a Trump wand and changed a lot of stuff. So I think when people get that, call it a, a endorphin, chemical drug, whatever, they want more of it. And once you have the taste, you don't want to let it go. And that is the one thing we owe to President Trump more than anything else. All right, folks, we're up against a hard break. 
You're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. Our special guest today, John Zadrozny with America First. That's right, America First Policy Institute. We're talking a lot of different topics. We're going to pay a few bills, have a little bit of tea, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. Our special guest, John Zadrozny of the America First Policy Institute. And we're talking lots of different topics. Right now, I'd like to get a little bit into election integrity and some of the things that are happening on the border lead to that. You you deferred to a topic earlier in the show of a uh, diminishing demographic within the Democrat Party that they're having to replace. And that diminishing demographic, we're not going to get into the specifics of what's happening to it. There's a lot of different reasons what's happening to it. But the reality is they're going to they're losing their voting base, in your opinion. And I agree with that opinion. And so what we're seeing, if I understand you properly, with some of these moves and what they're trying to do with Afghanistan and the border now is to bring people in that would potentially replace that voting base. But here's the problem. If they don't come in legally, they can't vote. Okay, and if they go to a state that will allow them to vote, which would be a a Democrat state, that's already a Democrat state. That's not going to help them out. So are they shooting themselves in the foot or is this just part of it? They hope that it'll bleed into red states. Uh, so they can try to federalize elections? I mean, the, the answer is yes. I think what, just to quickly touch on the demographic issue, uh, in 1973, as most of your listeners know, the Supreme Court in Roe v. Wade declared uh, abortion to be constitutional and the, uh, the, any bans to be unconstitutional. I don't want to get into whether or not that should be flipped or not. Um, the reality is, though, 
Since 1973, tens of millions of Americans were aborted in the womb. Now, uh, that's we're looking at uh, basically 50 years, and I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's somewhere between 55 and 60 million Americans it's, are not yeah, here. I think 60 million is, everybody agrees, it's, it's at least 60 million people. Right. So, so it's funny thing happens when you abort that many people. You're short of voters. And I, I hate to reduce it to a political, a crass political calculation, but the reality is the Democrats are missing at least 30 people who might have voted for them. So what do you do? Right. You've encouraged your base to kill children. Uh, you're being outbred by the right that has a lot of kids. Um, there's been some studies that say, why is the United States the only Western country to have a, a positive population growth instead of a negative population growth dynamic? The one and one word answer is religion. We're a very religious country, whereas Europe has gone purely secular and they have declining populations and dramatically. Right. You know, if you go to Catholic churches or evangelical churches, you see big families. We're outbreeding the left and they can't stand it. And they also can't survive unless they do something about it. How do you do something about it? Well, when you also can't convince Americans to vote for you, your only other goal, your only other, you know, do the only thing you can really do is import voters. You know, when your dead ideas don't have currency with the American people anymore, go find new people. And I think that's what you're seeing. So you're seeing at the border. Um, I, I hope that's not what happened in Afghanistan, but I can't help but note that uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of them, actual American citizens were left behind to load up planes with tens of thousands of unidentified and, people. And I still don't understand why the entire Republican Party has not just been beating a drum loud and clear for Biden's impeachment over that over that fiasco alone. I mean, there's yeah. so many to choose from. I've never in our history, we've never just completely said when we're pulling out, eh, OK, if you're left behind, so so be it. Right. It's it's really perhaps the most egregious thing. And we may not know the full public reaction for many months to come. But, uh, you know, it's and I don't want to get into the foreign policy side because I don't work on that here at AFPI. But we did leave them essentially the largest uh, uh, arm set of uh, equipment to basically we basically gave the, the Taliban the largest army in the Middle yeah. East. Courtesy we, the American we, we, we armed a terrorist nation. Right. It's almost it's like 20 years of reparations that the Democrats gave to the Taliban for the for what happened in 2001. And it's a shame. And it's but getting back to the, the immigration issue, mm -hmm. these people are the only future they really have. And they're loud and they're shrill so that they're louder than the, the quiet people who live in middle America. But I don't think they're more than us. And I think that's part of what we're seeing. We're seeing. A voter importation project is the only way to put it. Now, the only you said to get back to your question about states and where you vote and how you can vote, uh, you know, thankfully, states like Texas, uh, others are stepping up and actually making sure people don't steal votes anymore. Go figure. But I live in Virginia, which is a wonderful state in many ways, except it's run by really terrible people right now. And um, they last year using COVID as the excuse, um, mm -hmm. they have basically found a way to prevent um, people from being identified. So voter fraud is a lot easier, it turns out, when you don't have to prove you are who you say you are when you walk up and try and cast a vote. Did they um, change that at their state legislature level? Correct. They passed a bill, okay. um, which is unfortunate because it's harder to undo. Obviously, you couldn't do that without Article 1, government. Section 4. Right. Um, the the uh, In Virginia, Virginia has the same problem, by the way, that many other states have. They use COVID as the excuse to prevent honest voting. Uh, like, I, I don't think there's anything else you can do in life, Darren, without an ID, apparently, except vote. That's the only thing you can do without yeah. an ID in this world. Yeah, it, it, I've, I've had I've just eviscerated people that say, well, it's just discriminatory. And I, we just go down the list. Look, you're a loon. Yeah. I'm not going to give you any credit for having a degree of intelligence. Please don't breed and spread your genes. 
And if you know, if, if you go through, I guess here's my question. I've, I know that um, Illinois has done the same thing, passed it where basically, uh, I don't think they've done it with the ID yet, but they've done it where you can basically flood in with mail-in votes. In a state like Virginia, I know what we did in Texas, we had some pretty good laws. We went back and they're trying to put a little more teeth into it. Um, I also know in Texas, we didn't use the Dominion system. I remember when it came in in 2019, Secretary of State looked at it and, and laughed and said, you know, no, thank you. If you've got a state like Virginia and they, and they put in, okay, we don't have voter ID. How do you take that back? I mean, I, I know Virginia over the last 10, 15 years used to be a pretty red state. Then as more D.C. people moved in, it kind of went purple. And now it's blue. And now here it's purple again. What would you give the assessment of where your state is? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that are pretty conservative in, in, uh, in that state. I mean, I, this is a complicated subject. I would, here's what I would say. I would say I don't think Virginia is a blue state. I think the left has fueled this narrative to get us to give up. I think it's very red. Uh, I'm not going to kid you that the, the metastasis that is the federal workforce in the 50 miles around metropolitan D.C. is a huge problem. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it is still very much a red state. And I think we have a tremendous hope for the future. But I think that's why the left needs they need illegal immigration. They need amnesty and they need voter fraud because you can't overcome the reality of states sometimes without a little bit of an extra at the end. Um, but I do think Virginia is actually a very red state. I think the key, though, is we have to go back to a more traditional voting system. We have to get back to paper ballots. I, I still no one has ever given me a good explanation as to why you need computers to calculate results. Um, you can send an email letting everyone know what your precinct's final vote tally was. That's as far as I'm concerned, that's really all that's needed. And the, the you know, further we've you, had paper ballots in Texas for as long. I've worked many elections. Florida's away. We get it done the same night. Yeah. Not uh, perfect, one, but it gets done. Correct. Hey, one, one last thing on this note, Darren, or I can talk more, but the, for Virginia and Maryland, I think one of the greatest solutions to reclaiming these states is shrinking the federal government. If you have a much smaller D.C.-based federal workforce, these become American states again. Um, it's really, I can't say it enough, like you've basically got, everyone says, well, we need D.C. statehood. Well, first of all, the Constitution prohibits that. But you effectively do have two D.C. states right now because of the federal workforce. So shrinking the federal workforce dramatically is a key to reclaiming those states. Yeah, but here's the problem with that. And when's the last time that the federal government has been shrank? Reagan? You're correct. It's, it's, it's a problem, but it's also a problem for, I'll put it to you this way. I think in the future, it would be great to have a Republican administration that acknowledges Article 2 again, which means that the president is in charge of the federal workforce. And any statute or any restriction that takes the control of the federal workforce to achieve the politically elected president's goals is unconstitutional. So we have an awful lot of laws and rules that say the federal government can't do this, the president can't do that, the Department of Commerce must do this. Respectfully, I think it's all bunk. I think if it prevents the president from achieving his agenda, it's unconstitutional and can be ignored. Um, and I think that's something else, by the way, Darren, we all forget, which is that there, all three branches have independent constitutional duties, obligations to adhere to the Constitution. So I think we've wandered very far too. We, this is a whole giant conversation, which I'd love to have another yeah, time. I think, I, think, I think Joe Biden basically used it for toilet paper because he, he doesn't do anything. There's a couple of bills that you mentioned HR1 and it's evil companion S1 that did not pass really in large to uh, Kristen Cinema, which we owe her a great debt of gratitude. That bill has resurrected in HR4. 
And uh, I've not dissected it like I did HR1, which was basically it's a swamp rat bill. But I can tell you this. I know the premise of it, and it's designed to federalize elections. My the my issue with that bill and it's and another bill called HR 127, which is designed to basically take away our Second Amendment rights, is those are effectively changes to the Constitution, which require two thirds states approval. They're not going to if they pass these bills, they're not going to take them to the states because they won't pass two thirds states. So if they pass these bills and they make a, a, a basically what is an unlawful bill because it, it, it changes the constitution to go through short of challenging them in the Supreme court. Is there, do we have nullification that we can look at? What's a policy stance if we have, if they indeed try to federalize elections and go against the constitution? That's a good question. Question, Darren. What I would say is this, I would say that states have to rediscover their sovereignty in this trying time. Um, when it comes to these rules, yes, I would encourage them all to challenge the, any law that passes uh, via litigation. But at the same time, you've got to remember that to some degree, the federal government has a limit as to what it could do with the states. It can't commandeer state governments. It can't tell state governments to do certain things. It can pass federal laws that have, provide obligations across the country, but it can't make states do certain things. And I think in that gray space is some of the area where the states can be successful and push back. For example, um, I, I, it's hard to get into, but in short time, but basically you've got uh, the ability to use agencies to make sure that fraud is uncovered. And so if someone's a fraudulent voter, well, sure, they can tell you at the federal level that this, that you have to do X, Y, and Z. But if you've got someone who's lying as to their identity, you can charge them with a state crime and take them out of the voter rolls. You can clean your voter rolls. You can make sure dead people aren't there. You can make sure non-citizens aren't there. Well, if you've read HR 1 and HR 4, they basically take away the cleansing of the voter rolls. I mean, yeah, the, it, it, I, I don't know if you've dissected the, those full. Then it's, it is a basic, full-on attack, federalization of elections, in my opinion. And, if, and I think if they pass it, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not certain you wouldn't have a real insurrection, not just a, a, a fake one like what was January 6th. Um, I think that's going to be one thing I'd say on that front, Darren, is I think that they can pass laws that are unrealistic all they want, but the states still have independent sovereign obligations to their citizens. And um, I don't know how maybe we just lack enough creative people on our side to find creative ways to adhere to the law, but still make sure voter rolls don't have fraudulent people on those rolls. One thing I'd note is that for what it's worth, silver lining on this, uh, the For the People Act, the H.R. 1 was polling very well for a long time. I know there, but there was some counter polling done out there after a while saying, well, so the reason it was polling so well was because uh, people thought it allowed voter ID. Once it came out that it prevented voter ID, the, the polling numbers cratered and reversed. Yeah. So it turns out most Americans, probably even in blue states, are perfectly comfortable showing their driver's license. And you have to ask why people would oppose that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, we're up against our final break here. Before we go into the last segment, you're listening to the Information Edge podcast. I'm Darren Yancey with our special guest, John Zadrozny of America First Policy Institute. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and when we wrap up, John's going to tell us about some ways that you can get involved on the state level to help things improve. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back to the final segment of The Information Edge. Let's do a little uh, promotional here. You can go to the website, informationedge.net. That's got information on our topics, sponsors, how you can get a hold of members of both the United States Congress as well as your state Congress. As a matter of fact, I've got it in there. If you want to find out if you live in Hawaii, if you live in Tennessee and you need to know, I need to know this committee, I've done all that work for you. Go there. I've got topics on pending legislation, although I do need to update some of that. You can follow me on Twitter and Gab at DGNC65. Um, Let's get back real quick. John, you've been our special guest. Thank you so much for coming in today. What can the states do to be more proactive, to offset the wave of, let's just call it what it is, communism that we have right now. Uh, well, thanks, Darren. You know, we talked a little bit in the last segment about states pushing back against federal overreach and potentially unconstitutional overreach. Uh, I, I think um, it's funny, we have a bad habit. We, meaning, I think, in my personal capacity, I'm a conservative. Um, we conservatives tend to think that we're always going to get saved by the federal government. For all we talk about small government, everyone looks to Congress. Uh, I'm with you. Like I saw your head shaking there. I'm with you. I think we need to get back to a, we need to have a, a sovereignty renaissance among the states. We need to have states start looking to take on action more and more and be the centers of change more than they've been in the last half century. Um, that's where the action is going to be. Uh, for those of you who are, who, while I'm hopeful that Republicans will recapture the House and or Congress next year, don't in any way think that means that there's going to be a change. Uh, people who are sitting waiting for Correct. the federal government to save you are going to die. Like not literally, but you know what I mean. Um, or in certain places, maybe. So states need to move. They need to be the agents of change. It's where the action is going to be for the next four years. And they have an independent constitu- constitutional obligation to their citizens. So I would encourage all of you to make sure that your legislators know your opinions, you know, in terms of uh, nothing specific. I can't do that, but I would say make your opinions known, fight for the issues you think are important. In immigration, I think states need to take a hard look at revisiting some of the things they've given up on because of previous court decisions. For example, I think states should take a hard look once again at uh, restricting illegal aliens from obtaining driver's licenses. And some people will say, well, the court's already spoken on that. Well, we have a new judiciary. 
you know, the left never really gives up. They lose a court case. They have someone filing a new court case the next day. And our side just kind of shrugs. And then they go back to big white shoe law firms. Um, we need to keep it at, keep at it. But you also, in addition to the fact that we theoretically have a restructured judiciary, we also have um, 10 years of experience showing that the federal government, when it doesn't do its job, creates a huge national security hole. And I think if states can prove that they can fill that hole within the boundaries of the Constitution, then it's worth doing. Um, so driver's licenses, they're one example. Um, and for what it's worth, too, I'll, I'll name a few others, but these are all what I would call pull factors, meaning um, the people who live in, in the Northern Triangle in Central America or elsewhere who are trying to get into the country illegally, they know all they have to do is get past the border and it's all oxen free and they can go to certain states and they can get goodies and driver's licenses and jobs. If you eliminate those pull factors, the things that allow them to live here comfortably, they won't come and they won't stay. So uh, get rid of driver's licenses. I think states should also take a second look at restricting the use of uh, public funds for illegal alien children in public schools. I'm not saying that the feds can't chip in the money. I, I wouldn't vote for that, but um, states shouldn't have to pony up their state's taxpayer dollars for that. Um, there should be some revisiting of uh, protecting law enforcement that is actually trying to find out if someone's illegally present. Like the idea that law enforcement has to remain willfully blind to someone's immigration status. Um, people die ridiculous. because of it. They literally die because of that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, and that's just a small sampling of things that states can do. I think for, for what it's worth, even though in the Trump administration, we spent four years tackling sanctuary jurisdictions where cities and states have basically said, screw you to the federal government and they're harboring illegal aliens. Um, I think Republicans should take a page out of their book and fight fire with fire. Say, look, we're going to have a law enforcement sanctuary. We're going to protect people who are fighting for public safety. Um, we're not automatically going to prosecute someone who, who shoots an illegal alien on their property. I, I don't encourage people to hurt other people for no reason, but you've got to protect your family. Um, you know, this could apply to other issues like States could be life sanctuaries. We're just not going to allow abortion clinics. And the left will lose its mind, but at some point, yes, they're, they going to to, they're going to have to confront their own hypocrisy here. So um, I love it. Let me I ask you a question. When I, yeah. when I throw out the, the word nullification, what comes to mind? Uh, the, the, the history major in me wants to talk about the Civil War, right? Because um, you know that topic's coming up more and more right now in, in, in state legislatures. Correct. Correct. Um, it's important to, this is one thing I, I, states have an independent constitutional obligation to their citizens. And if they think that the federal government is behaving unconstitutionally, the state can pass laws that allow the state to continue to function in the way that they deem is constitutional. I don't mean to sound roundabout about that. That's a fancy way of saying basically like, if the states don't think the federal government is behaving constitutionally, they have an obligation to push back. I think one of the reasons we have big problems in this country is we've, the left pays lip service to checks and balances, but they don't actually want them because if we oh, actually no. use checks and balances the way they should, we'd have presidents saying, hey, Supreme Court, that decision was garbage, and I have no intention of enforcing it for the duration of my office. States would be saying, hey, Congress, that bill you passed is incredibly unconstitutional. We don't agree with you. We're not enforcing it. We're not cooperating with you. The, the, the absence of checks and balances is one of the reasons the nation's been sick for a long, long time. And well, we're going to get back to it. What, what you're basically saying is it's time to put our big boy and big girl britches on um, and take on the, the, the tide of, uh, we'll just say, undesirable communists that have infiltrated us, which I agree with totally. And you know what the great thing is? I think that's happening right now. I, I think we've been more awake as a nation than probably we've been in 30 years. Um, I don't like the fact of how the election went, and I'm curious to see. I, I do want to get one last opinion. 
Arizona's going to come out with their audit results, and I think Georgia should, should close by. There's, and I had people say, well, there's nothing in the Constitution to reverse an election. No, but there's nothing in the Constitution to allow a fraudulent election either. Should Arizona decertify Mr. Biden? What happens, in your that's opinion? A, that's a great question. I, I, I've had this conversation with quite a few people, and there's a tiny part of me that's frustrated because I, I, I think some people are hoping that leads to a change. Uh, I don't know if... I don't, don't know. know what's, I don't know. What I would say is this. I think it's unlikely um, that anything would change. What I think, though, is that the Biden administration is in deep, deep trouble if states start decertifying slates of electors for two reasons, one of which it shows major problems with their election systems. It's not a it's not a crazy person talking point anymore. It's now a database discussion about the theft of elections. And that raises real questions, not only about the last election, but I honestly, I think the last 20 years worth of elections are going to require no some retroactive scrutiny. No question. And I think that's going to tell us the left's not as strong as it thinks it is or wants us to think it is. And that's bad for them because if our side gets excited, God help them. Um, the, other, the other part of that equation is I think uh, for all intents and purposes, if it's proven that Joe Biden didn't actually win the election, let's just say hypothetically, you get all the states that were considered crucial to the victory where there was dispute proven to be not have voted for him and that those states then decertify their electors. I don't think anything changes in terms of who's physically in the White House, but I think his agenda is essentially DOA. And I think that should be the posture of Congress. Like, have a seat, enjoy your pudding. We're not doing anything with you. We're waiting for the next legitimate election. Um, and I think you could also make the argument in the off chance that anything significant has been signed by Joe Biden and we then prove that there was a fraudulent election, uh, other people are going to have to have a discussion about whether or not those laws are considered null and void in a future administration. I think that conversation should probably start now because I'd like to see a president say, you know what, it turns out that election was stolen. That law is null and void. It's not an effect. Yeah, you're not. You're ineffective. I, I like your, I, but I, I think if, 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 if they can actually prove, prove that the vote totals were incorrect, in other words, all these mail-in ballots are fraudulent. I'm not talking people came in, did real ones, but, and I've, I've done enough as election judge, you know how a mail-in ballot's supposed to be. You're supposed to have a chain of command. You're supposed to have an address. They're supposed to wait, and you're supposed to have that envelope with it. If those weren't there and those could be tossed out and you do decertify enough States where he no longer has it, I think they got to do more than just uh, have him be uh, sitting there lame duck. John, yeah. thank you so much for coming today. Let's do this again in the future. I've had a blast. Um, by the way, and if we want folks to go to your website, what is that website? Thanks for asking, Darren. It's AmericaFirstPolicy.com, AmericaFirstPolicy.com. And we have centers that cover all sorts of issues, including election integrity, national security, and everything in between. And uh, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, it's been the Information Edge podcast. We'll catch you next week because we're out of time today. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.